please exhale. And now let's begin. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. If you're interested in exploring holistic wellness topics through a perspective that blends spirituality with science, I think you've found the right place. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Let's figure out this life thing together. Always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Hello, and welcome back to the Science of Light. I am popping in here between a series of interviews with a solo episode because as I promised a few weeks ago, I was going to do a Venus retrograde series in January and the past couple episodes talking about, um, you know, just women's issues and cycle tracking were totally part of that, but I wanted to encapsulate some more things. So if you have no interest in the menstrual cycle, it might have felt like those couple episodes were not for you, although I do think there's value in listening and hearing experiences of people that are outside of your own experience, and I think there's a lot of value in that, but it's kind of hard to apply that to your own life, maybe, perhaps, or um, for whatever reason, I wanted to make something more general. Um, there's a lot of other stuff that could be encapsulated under Venus-type issues, and so also... I do want to add that if you are not interested in astrology, this doesn't have to mean anything to you, but if you are, you can pop over to my other podcast that's just called Yogi Scopes, which is like the same as my website, so if you look in the show notes, Yogi Scopes for how it's spelled, you can listen to one of several episodes of the last three or four I have. I did one special episode dedicated to the Venus Retrograde, and I've kind of touched on it in every episode since at least a little bit. Um, So if you want to learn more about that, you can pop over there and listen to that, but you don't have to. I just, I always want these episodes on this podcast to feel timely and relevant. And the way I do that is through Ayurveda and Vedic astrology or Jyotish to guide um, the topics that I'm talking about. But then it just helps me plan for something to talk about so that it feels like there's a flow, feels like there's an intention. Um, but then also it is also my hope that these episodes can be evergreen and you can go back and listen to them. Um, you know, whenever there's a certain yoga philosophy topic you want to learn about or a certain kind of life challenge you want to hear the yoga philosophy on and then also some guided uh, research or, you know, scientific evidence to back up that yoga philosophy. And then also, like, I always hope to give you something practical and usable that you can apply to your life. That doesn't always necessarily come through in the, in like the 100% explicit way in interviews, but I do hope that there's value in listening to people's stories as well. Um, that's my whole intention for this entire podcast is to just get as nitty gritty as we can with the human experience through listening to other people's stories and listening to research and philosophy and all of those good things to just become better humans. And so the topic for this week is all about living in community without, um, so it's kind of hard. We all need to live in community And the kind of extremes that I think I see a lot are people that either venture towards hyper-individualism or codependency. And so it's pretty challenging to live within community settings 
without letting that those interactions either be super surface level and shallow and just being super individualistic or without um, kind of bordering more into the codependent realm, which in a larger community setting could look more like um, sort of like cult dynamics or like just lacking boundaries. So this is – I. My intention for this episode is to kind of illustrate how we can relate better, not just an intimate partner relationship. So the tips that I have for you, they come that that we'll get to towards the end will be they come from the Gottman Institute, who John and Julie Gottman, they're both doctors, doctors John and Julie Gottman, are kind of seen as some of the experts in the world of couples counseling. So what their research primarily focuses on is marriages and other various forms of intimate partnership. But I am here to assert that these skills are going to be useful in any kind of interactions. And just, I'm going to try not to make this too astrologically focused because I know um, or I suspect that at least a portion of this audience doesn't care. And I'm not here to like shove astrology down your throat. I'll do that on my other podcast if that's what you're into. Um, So this month with Venus and Mercury both in retrograde, it's a good time to examine our structures of communication and how we relate to other people. So that's my intention of this episode. And that goes beyond, I think a lot of times when we think about examining our relationships, we just think of intimate partner relationships. And especially like You know, here it is the end of January. We have Valentine's Day coming up. I don't really know if people celebrate that outside of the U.S. I honestly have no clue. But where I live in the U.S., it's a big thing, and people are grumpy about it um, for whatever reason. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Valentine's Day, whatever. Um, But right now, it's a good time. It is a good time as any, whether you study, study astrology or not, to think about how we relate to people, and that goes beyond just our intimate partners. But even still, I would venture to say that sometimes our relationships with our intimate partners become some of the most like, I mean, we see them all the time. We see them more than we see anybody else. Perhaps if you are married or live in with your intimate partner or whatever. So this could also apply to like your roommates or your family or just the people that you're closest to. Sometimes we get so comfortable around them that like we kind of fall into patterns or routines that may not be serving us or serving the relationship super well. So that's my intention here as well is to, we're just going to look at communication structures, ways to communicate better, um, ways to connect better. And this comes from the research uh, from the Gottman Institute. Um, So I've kind of taken a synopsis. I've been studying a lot of their stuff for about a year now been studying pretty in depth of, um, a lot of their research. And so this is just my synopsis of some, some high notes that I think are really valuable and important. Um, but you can always go look into their books or go to their website. I think it's just Gottman.com, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, um, or just Google Gottman Institute. They have a lot there. I get a ton of value from just even following them on social media, kind of staying plugged into their research that way. Um, and reading little, little articles that are put out, periodically by various Gottman certified therapists, because that's a thing you can do if you're a therapist, or even if you're not, um, you can go and take their little course, courses, and get certified in what's called the Gottman method. So I don't, I'm not certified in that. I don't know if this is the 
Gottman method, but it's some high notes that I think are really important and adaptable to our interactions with the people around us, how we can be better, exist better in community, communicate better, be more attuned to the connections other people try to make and um, be more skilled at reaching out for connection in a way that doesn't push people away or a way that truly communicates what we need and what we're looking for. Because the more skilled we get in communicating our needs, the more likely those needs are to be met. So that's the intention um, of what the particular skills we're going to talk about. But I wanted to talk first about why I think this is valuable just beyond your intimate partner relationships. And of course, I will get into some yoga philosophy in a minute about um, where I think this, you know, where I see this coming up in some yoga philosophy. You always got to relate it back to yoga philosophy, right? Um, so we all exist in community. And it seems to me like our ways of existing in community are much different than they maybe traditionally always have been, or maybe even how we still conceptualize them to be. So to understand what I mean, let's first just think about what the definition of community even is. So it's basically a group of people that have a particular characteristic in common, like where they live or their job or something like that. Or another definition is a feeling of fellowship with others um, as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And so we can kind of get community from a lot of different places that we didn't used to be able to. So it used to be able to, you could only get a sense of community from the people that were very in close proximity to you, whether that be in your neighborhood or your family or your religious organization. So I honestly, like in my personal opinion, there might be some evidence to back this up, but just from what I've seen, um, because like I live in the South and I've talked about on here before how I live in the Bible Belt and um, I grew up like raised super Christian and that um, where I live, I often joke about where I live in Appalachia. There's like the only thing, there's more churches than there are fire departments and there's a fire department every like half mile um, out where I live. And so those are kind of the community gathering places. I live in a rural part of App- Appalachia just only about 30 minutes from Asheville, but still it's, it's far enough out here that we don't, I have to go, you know, 15 minutes to get to a store, um, to any kind of store. Uh, and that's actually a lot closer. It used to be 30 minutes where I lived, but I still had a fire department within a half mile, either direction of my home and a church right across the street and a church across the street from either fire department. So churches out where I live, even still, are like the only community gathering place, but not anymore. They're the only physical ones out in the rural, you know, mountains where I live. But now we have online gathering places. We gather on social media. We gather, um, yeah, pretty much social media. Like different variations of social media are places that we often can find and feel a sense of community. But I'm here to say that I think that that sense of community that we get from social media can't replace the sense of community that we get from actual being in physical proximity of other people. 
Um, I think there's a lot of value in social media. I'm not hating on it. It helps me personally stay in touch with a lot of people um, that I otherwise wouldn't have the bandwidth to like see what they're up to all the time. And same, uh, I wouldn't have the bandwidth to tell them what I'm up to. And it helps me stay in touch with a lot of folks that I wouldn't otherwise be able to. And that's really cool and fun. And additionally, through like local Facebook groups, I've been able to stay more in touch with my neighbors. There's like an app called Nextdoor where you can stay in touch with your neighbors. And there's a lot of value in those things, I think, but they're a pretty new phenomenon. And I think they're giving a lot of us a sense that like, or they're filling up a lot of our social bandwidth time or giving us a sense that we're having our social needs met, but we're not really, or like we're using all our bandwidth, but we're not getting all of the needs met in the same way that we would be if we had some physical proximity to people. And that can look like a lot of things. It can look like going to church or going to a yoga class or the gym or, um, I don't know, even the grocery store. So, um, like you're not going to get like a super deep relationship with your cashier probably, but like, especially if you live in a bigger city, but you know, it just, I I've been thinking about this cause I, I started to record this episode on Friday and now here it is Monday and I'm re-recording it because the one I recorded on Friday just was too, a little too scattered for my taste. Um, I was like going to just roll with it, but I was like, no, it's like 50 minutes long and I, it could be like 20 minutes shorter um, to get the same point across and it would give you better value that way probably. Um, I did a lot of rambling because I was tired and I'm always tired, but today I'm a little more fresh. Anyway, all that rambling to say, I've been thinking about this all weekend and I've been thinking about how like, you know, I went to the store the other day and I like had a little conversation with the cashier about like chocolates and Valentine's Day or something. You know what I mean? And so we can have these interactions wherever we go. We can be withdrawn and sometimes that's okay. Sometimes the cashier is withdrawn and they don't want to talk to us or chit chat and I'm an introvert. And so sometimes I don't want to talk to people. But um, I think it feels to me like I'm going to make a sweeping generalization, but it feels to me like we have gotten super disconnected from our communities that are in close proximity to us because we're getting a lot of our social needs or met or bandwidth filled through online interactions. And so I'm not trying to hate on online interactions. I'm not trying to say they're the problem or that... Um, that they're a problem at all. They can be. Anything can be a problem. Anything can be a valuable tool. And it's just up to how you personally use it, whether it's, you know, one or the other. Anything can be both at different times. So I'm not trying to say that there's something wrong with um, the online world, but I do think there are problems with it. Like I think we get a little bit more polarized you know, if you just go and like talk to some people that you would think that you would like disagree with, you'll realize that we're like all just people, you know, including your cashiers and your um, people in the service industry that you might interact with on a regular basis. You know, I don't know. I just think, I think what I'm, what I'm getting at for this episode to try and make this all feel connected with you is so it's also part of why I re-recorded because it felt like I was talking about two separate things, but I was like, no, they really are related talking about how much we need community 
and stuff. And then talking about these communication skills from the Gottman Institute is because I hope that you will take these communication skills and apply them hopefully to your intimate partner relationships for sure. And then with, you know, other people that are in really close proximity to you, whether that be your children, your parents, your siblings, your family, your kids, I already said your kids, um, your, your friends, your housemates, your whatever, colleagues, I don't know, whoever, I hope you take this information and apply it definitely to your most intimate circles, but you could also apply it just to like any of your interactions throughout the day because um, if you are craving community, it's possible that you could build that, you know, at the gym or at your weekly yoga class if you went into it with a mindset of like, I'm just going to be a little more open to communicating with these people rather than being withdrawn and like looking at my phone or in my headphones or whatever the case is. And like, I get it. I'm not telling you, you have to do it all the time because I'm an introvert too. And sometimes I just want to be a fly on the wall when I go in public. But if you are craving community or social interaction, um, just, just look at that and you can apply these skills to cultivate deeper senses of community kind of like wherever you go. And, you know, not always everybody will be receptive and it takes some time, but uh, it will be worth it, especially if, I don't know, maybe this is on the forefront of my mind because it's like still COVID and still pretty quarantined and I'm like super pregnant and have a toddler. So it's really hard for me to like get out. I work from home alone all the time. I'm like pretty isolated. So maybe this is my own perception coming to the forefront And maybe this doesn't apply for you, Um, but I suspect that it applies for like more of us than it ever did before, whatever the case may be, whether it's because you have kids or because of COVID and quarantining restrictions that are just still lingering or because of working from home or whatever, because when we go in public, everybody's on their device. Everybody is like less willing to um, be friendly. And maybe that's not your experience everywhere you go. Because it's not my experience everywhere either, but I do see it a lot. And I also see um, that a lot of people are pouring a lot of um, time and energy into like cultivating online connections. And like I said, I do that too. Like I'm not saying it's bad totally, um, but I do think we need um, connections in our everyday life. So part of where this is coming from for me is like a lot of people say like go to therapy or whatever, go to therapy, go to therapy. Therapy is great, but I think, um, I hope we can make it more normalized to be able to talk about harder stuff and like deeper emotions and, um, boundaries and needs and these kind of things that we're going to talk about in a minute with the Gottman, uh, communication skills I have for you. I hope we can make it easier to do those things in in all of our interactions because I think that will serve a lot of the purpose where we feel like we're getting our emotional needs met. I don't think therapy should be the only place reserved for um, going and talking about what's like really going on with you. I hope that we're able to create a culture where we can do that more in our – we can have people in our lives and support systems in our lives. We can cultivate that so that we can – feel like we're being seen and heard on a regular basis and not have therapy be the only place for that. I don't think our society needs to be sterilized in that way. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't 
um, you like in your workplace, or you shouldn't just like unload and overshare on the cashier. That's not what I'm trying to say you should do or like do it at work. But I do hope that we can all create some support systems in our life so that we can feel super supported. And if that comes from therapy, awesome. And therapy will even probably help you do this, create these kind of support systems in your life. But I am also here to say that not necessarily everybody needs therapy to be able to, is kind of what I'm trying to say, um, to be able to create these kind of support systems, right? Um, And then the other kind of thing I wanted to point out, I've been dancing around with the whole online thing, is I feel like in the spiritual community, I see all the time um, this rise in hyper-individualism. And I see... Uh, I see where that comes from, especially here in the United States. We come from like this whole culture of rugged individualism. You know, when people were like pioneers and stuff, they had to be pretty rugged and individualistic. They had to be kind of every man for themselves, every person for themselves, right? Um, Because there was no lows to go to or hardware store. You had to like mill your own lumber to build a house, chop down trees to have warmth to heat the house, like all that kind of stuff. And it, and it was only up to you and your immediate proximity people, like your family or your tight community, whatever, probably extended family, probably had a lot to do with why families used to be a lot bigger. I tell my, I joke with my husband sometimes that because we moved to a farm and we're planning to like do some homesteading type stuff. And um, I'm like, we got to have a bunch more kids or else this farm business model will never be sustainable. You know, and I joke about that. I actually don't. Anyway, so I just, you know, things are changing. People aren't having eight or nine kids or 10 or 12 kids on the regular basis anymore. And that has a lot to do with, um, you know, birth control. But it also has a lot to do with, like, our society is just not set up in the same way anymore. Um, and so, yeah, people used to need to be a little bit more individualistic and a little bit more, like, um, worrying about themselves because nobody was going to come help them. But even still they had like, nobody was completely by themselves. They usually had at least a family or, you know, some people to rely on. Um, and nowadays it's this whole capitalism bootstrapping, like, you know, personal growth and development. I see what I'm trying to get at basically is I can see the timeline of how it arose in our society to be super individualistic. And I can see how it sells in the self-help world, which is kind of honest. Let's be honest. That's what I'm in. Like I'm a yoga teacher, yoga therapist, an astrologer. And when you come to me, you're probably coming to me for something self-help-ish to like make yourself better. And that's fine. It's fine to have those kind of endeavors. But I just wish that... Um, And it's important even to want to make yourself better, I should say, um, because that's all we can really control, right, is our own selves. But I would hope that part of that would be focusing on how can you better exist and serve the community that you exist exist within, I should say. Um, Because what I see happening a lot is this idea of setting boundaries and whatever, And then people take it to the extreme of like, um, 
you know, remove that person from your life if they're going to, like, slow down your goals at all. Like, I see people that are, like, into traveling and they're like, oh, I've been in this great – nobody's – like, this hasn't been something one of my clients have said, but, like, I've seen it actually in a Facebook group multiple times um, is, like, oh, I love traveling and I want to go on this big, long trip, but I've been in this relationship for a long time and, like sh- – and it's a good relationship, but this – my partner doesn't want me to go away for three months without them. And then people are like, that's toxic fucking breakup. And I'm like, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean like, there's a lot of missing context there. Maybe the relationship is toxic. Maybe it's not, but I feel like the partner setting a boundary that they don't want to be without you for three months doesn't necessarily have to be a deal breaker. It can be a deal breaker. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best example. Um, but what I'm saying is, with better communication, um, we can make sure both partners or all parties involved, whether it's intimate partner relationship or not, can be getting their needs met by communicating them. And I think sometimes we might have to give up a little bit. You know, you have to give to get, like, let your partner go on the trip or decide not to take a trip if it's going to be a deal breaker with your partner who on all other accounts is a really great partner. You know what I mean? I just think in the online world, there's a lot of what feels like treating people in relationships as disposable if it hinders your personal growth in any way. And I, that just feels really shallow to me and it really bothers me. And so that was just like a micro example with the travel thing. Um, and that's why I think also why I hesitate with the online realm, because it's like, you can go and you can write a really long post on social media and ask for people's opinions, but then they're still only getting like, your perspective and not any other, you know, it it leads to a greater confirmation bias um, for what the answer you were hoping for was. And it leads to a greater, like people are just answering with their own um, perceptions of the situation. So I would hope that you're able to cultivate richer and deeper relationships. Um, And, and that's intimacy, right? That's, the whole thing is how to live in community and be intimate without bordering into hyper-individualism where you're treating people as disposable. But the other extreme can be, it can feel scary to get into these deep, intimate relationships with partners or friends or whoever because it can totally venture into the land of codependency or even cult-like dynamics. So that's, I guess, what I, my hope for you is to offer these skills to navigate whatever relationships in a way that is not hyper-individualistic, a way that you can successfully tread through the turbulent waters of relationship and intimacy with these communication skills at your disposal to make it easier so that you don't have to be hyper-individualistic so that you can exist in community better with people um, without being codependent or just going along to get along to the point where your needs don't get met. Um, and it's tricky. It's totally hard. Um, and so what I'm actually talking about is the notion of interdependence because we are all interdependent. We need other people. Um, and the key is boundaries and good communication, basically. So that actually leads me nicely into the yoga philosophy piece that I have for you um, is the notion of Atman and Brahman. And then also avidya. And so maybe those words mean something to you already, or maybe they don't. Um, But atman and brahman are the concepts 
from yoga philosophy that we are all connected through this sort of like universal you can you can say it as the divine you could look at it like that like our all like divine spark um universal consciousness or whatever you want to look at it as like little god particle thing or just the fact that we all rely and depend on each other um if if you don't believe that we do rely and depend on each other just look at the supply chain issues that have been ongoing for a couple years. Um, I think that's all I need to say about that. That's a pretty solid example that we have these huge complex systems of interdependence that most of us, like, it might not be completely messing you up. It might not be messing you up at all. But the fact that if somebody, you know, if something's going awry in another country, and it affects what can happen on our grocery store shelves or whatever. We're just all like, you know, or you're listening to this podcast over the internet that somebody else maintains your your connection to the internet, your phone lines, your whatever, on a device that somebody else invented and that, you know, you probably drive on roads that we all pay for through taxes. Like we're just all super interdependent. So whether you want to look at it spiritually or not, like if you believe in a divine spark or a universal consciousness or a a spirit, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to believe in, um, you can look at it like that, or you can look at it like um, just the fact that we are all connected in really big ways and kind of um, it's, it's a little bit unseen, right? Like the supply chain, like most of us don't unless you're like an industrial engineer in fact you probably don't like look at the supply chain too much beyond how it impacts you you don't look at the behind the scenes of it um it's very complex i just on the side i you might have heard before that i was in engineering school that's actually like what i was in engineering school for is industrial engineering and it's like manufacturing and a lot of supply chain and we had entire softwares i had to take differential equations, which is the math that you take past calculus three to understand the um, matrices, like matrix, like, you know, like the matrix, but like in the math concept of a matrix, um, these huge equations, lots of variables. And some of them were so complex that just there were softwares. And these softwares were so complex that you had to take a whole semester-long course to even know how to use the software. And that's how planes work. I mean, not how the plane actually works, but how, like, airports function and how flight, how they decide flights is they have these really complicated softwares. And the same thing goes for, like, shipping and distributing companies. Like, you know, so how we all get our stuff is it's very complex. And most of us don't see that side of it. Most of us only see like, oh, well, if these people would get off their butts and get a job and then we'd have enough truckers and then we'd have toilet paper in our grocery stores. That's There's a lot more to it than that is what I'm trying to say. Sorry. I keep getting, tan- this is a super tangenty topic for me. Like I, I think I mentioned, but maybe it was in the one that I recorded over because it was rambly. Um, that this was originally intended to be a six-week series because I have a lot to say about it, but due to maternity leave and 
sick days and snow days. I've just been all off schedule this month. So anyway, um, so the concepts of Atman and Brahman. So Atman is like your worldly identity, your lowercase s self, your ego self, all your roles, your titles. Um, and all those things are kind of part of the human contract, right? Like it's not, I don't want to paint the picture that the goal in yoga is always to move from Atman to Brahman because most of us can't just shed our worldly identities totally. Um, we can't all live monastic lifestyles. And that's the thing with a lot of yoga philosophy stuff. And what I see is like a lot of people interpret it that way that like the goal is to do it in the most monastic way possible, but we can't always be monks. Um, you know, like actually even monks, the only reason that business model works is because their culture is like set up for it and people donate and stuff to the temple. And that's how monks can eat. Um, right. Like that's how that works. And so our society's not super set up for that over here in the U S. Um, so we can't just always shed our worldly identities and exist totally in the Brahman, in the universal consciousness, um, without any ego. So we have to learn how to navigate that. We have to learn how to exist in our Atman, in our worldly identities, um, without getting too focused on that, that we forget just how in interconnected we are. And if we're suffering, um, somebody else is suffering. And if other people's suffering impacts us, and you can look at that from a spiritual way. And I think that there's a lot to that, but you can also look at it like, you know, when the middle class suffers, the economy suffers, you know, and that's another way to look at that. Like, or I don't know, I, I, I hope you get the idea of about how all interconnected we all are. I think that's why I can get rambly about this because there's tons of examples of how interconnected we are. And you can look at it from a spiritual perspective, and I hope you do, or you can throw that out the window and you can just look at it at like um, how the pandemic has affected us all. You know, no matter how how you feel about it, it's it's definitely made an impact on you one way or another, right? And then avidya is the other concept. So the Atman and Brahman is mostly for, I wanted to bring that up to illustrate um, our interconnectedness and how we have to learn to navigate our, you know, the hyper-individualism versus our interconnectedness. Um, and avidya is what can kind of get in the way, I think, of um, navigating that well. So avidya, I did a whole episode where I mostly focused on Avidya, um, it was the Klesha's episode, intro to the Klesha's. I did it a few months ago. It was like back in the fall I did it. Um, and Avidya is the first one. So it's like said to be what all other kind of blocks to enlightenment or blocks to true yoga are born from. It's like the tr roots and trunk of the tree of suffering, basically. And it means ignorance, but that's also an oversimplification. It also means like misperception or um, it can be like a communication breakdown basically in this context is especially how I'm going to be referring to it. So basically we all, because of our Atman, because of our own unique position in the world, our own unique self and ego and identity, we all come into all of our interactions with um, – our own perceptions and that colors 
the interaction. And so it can get in the way sometimes when we get upset at somebody else because we assumed what they meant or what they intended or we take something the wrong way um, because of our own perceptions or our own expectations about how they were going to respond or whatever, or even they don't communicate well um, because of their own avidya or perceptions or um, their own ignorance to our needs or whatever. So um, the skills I have to offer you now we're getting into the Gottman communication skills, uh, hopefully will be good ways to kind of mar that avidya. So it's going to be there. There's going to be misperceptions. There's going to be communication breakdowns. There's going to be points where we uh, don't understand each other in our interactions in the best way possible. And I think these skills are meant to help navigate that and help lessen the impacts of um, just miscommunicating, right? So back to just briefly... To the Venus and Mercury retrogrades, I've been telling you over on the other podcast that it's a good time to think about your communication skills and how you relate to people in, um, you know, not just in your intimate partner relationships, but all the time. If you want to create a better sense of community, try these things, okay? So basically, the first two are going to be how you can be more receptive. There's four things. And the first two are going to be how you can be more receptive to um, when other people are coming to you needing connection and you can be more receptive to that. And then the second two are going to be how you can create better connection when you're the one needing it. And so I hope I have illustrated well throughout this episode um, the importance of being there for other people when they need it and the importance of, of how to um, properly reach out for connection when we're the ones needing connection and how to not, um, you know, just overshare on the grocery store, the poor clerk there um, or whatever, you know. Um, so the first two for how to better be receptive when people around you are needing communication is to learn about bids for connection. So these things can, bids for connection, they're like how any instance of connection gets started. Somebody makes a bid and it can look like a lot of things. It can look like um, your child asking you to play with them. It can look like your partner kind of coming over to you and scratching your back or something, or like um, your partner reaching out to hold your hand or looking at you with a smile, or it can be, um, a friend, like reaching out to text you or call you or something. Like there's a lot of different ways somebody can make a bid for connection. Basically it's just when somebody reaches out for connection and it can be tiny. It can be like a certain look that you get from a person and you know the look when you know them well. Um, and so So the Gottmans say to always turn towards, practice turning towards rather than away from bids for connection. And so you can have boundaries around this. You know, we don't always have the bandwidth to um, be vented to or 
maybe sometimes your kids are making a bid for connection and you're trying to wash the dishes or you've got a very important thing to do. But the idea is that if you at least turn towards it instead of ignoring it, um, the relationship will become stronger. And then also we can teach other people how to turn towards our bids for connection. And I'll get to that momentarily when I get there um, to the to the la- finer, final two about how to improve our reaching out, our own personal reaching out. So um, basically the Gottmans talk about how if you like say you, you notice your partner like huffs and puffs or sighs or something and you don't look up from what you're doing, um, maybe you are super busy. But I would say that most things could warrant at least like an acknowledgement. Maybe you don't have time to like hear the person vent at that second or that moment. You know, that's just an example. It could be a lot of things or maybe you, you can't really turn away from your work too much, but you could at least like acknowledge the bid and say, you know, I see you. This is when I can get to like a stopping point or um, whatever. Like with your kids, a good example is like, we'll play in a minute after I get done washing the dishes, but don't just like ignore them. You know, there's a lot of skillful, skillful ways to move towards this, but the more you turn towards bids for connection instead of turn away, the less kind of resentment you're going to cultivate in the relationship, the less disengagement you're going to cultivate, you know? So when you turn away, when you're always ignoring bids for connection, um, people will stop making them basically because they're not getting connected to when they need to. So if you want to um, be there for somebody, then turn towards it when in a way that is helpful for you in a way that is like within your boundaries and bandwidth to do. I think, you know, I don't have time at the end of this episode now to go through a whole shit ton of examples, but if you want more examples, I'm happy to like give you some, or you could research bids for connection. The Gottman Institute has a ton of good articles on it. Um, and then the next one is listening, um, listening well, how to listen well. So one is how to turn towards bids for connection rather than turning away. And it doesn't always have to mean that you drop what you're doing and go listen to whatever, you know, that person needs. But, but hopefully sometimes you do, um, when you do listen to that person, you are fully present And here are some listening skills from the Gottman Institute. So um, listening empathetically and validating what what you're hearing rather than jumping right to problem solving. So sometimes people will explicitly ask you for advice and they will want your input on solving the problem. But most of the time, I would venture to say most of the time, people just one event. And if you let them talk and listen, um, empathetically and reflectively, and I'm going to give you some like concrete tips on how to do that in a moment, but most of the time people can like solve their own problems. They just needed like the space to be heard so that they can think through it. Most of the time people don't actually want our input and, but if they do, they'll ask for it. And you can also ask a clarifying question you can say, are you venting or do you want my thoughts? But I would hope you would do that after 
you have reflectively listened. And so what does that look like? The whole time they're talking, you're not thinking about what you would do in their shoes or what advice you're going to give them. You are listening to deeply understand what they're saying um, rather than marring that with your own perceptions, rather than bringing your own avidya um, into it's to clear listening reflectively is to clear up your avidya, your ignorance to what their experience really is. So you have to like take off your perceptions and step fully into theirs. Like I'm going to stop thinking my thoughts about what you're saying and I'm going to try to think your thoughts about what you're saying. And so after they finish talking, you would say something like, I'm hearing you say blah, blah, blah. And you would repeat back to them what they just said in your own words, trying to focus on like facts and then maybe also feelings. So like I'm hearing you say that when your colleague does such and such, you feel really um, overwhelmed by that or whatever um, the case is, is to listen to understand rather than listening to reply. And so so listen really well. And then what's very helpful is to then repeat back to them what you heard because that's where if you did misperceive what they were trying to communicate, whether that's their fault or yours, whether it's because they didn't communicate it well or because you were like off in your own world thinking about what you would do in their situation um, and you didn't really understand where they were coming from, this is what's going to clear that up because you're going to say, I'm hearing you say blah, blah, blah. And they're going to say either yes or no. And they're going to clarify or they're going to feel extremely validated and feel better because they feel heard because most of us just want to feel seen and heard, right? So you practice that. And then, um, then you can ask, well, do you want my input or did you just want to vent? You know, so before you give any input, please ask, do you want my input? Um, or sometimes sometimes people will have said it in a way that, that you can tell they want your input, but I would urge you never to assume that somebody wants your input. And definitely, hopefully, you are validating what you heard and that you understood what they were trying to communicate before you go giving your input because that is where you're going to clear up the avidya, clear up the ignorance and misperceptions when you reflectively listen. Okay, and so now on to the next two of how to better get your own needs met. Um, One, so if you want to create more moments for connection with your partner or your kids, you can, um, so obviously continue to make bids for connection. And if you feel like your bids for connection aren't being met, um, you can use, this tip I'm about to give you about I statements in a minute to say that in a way that is not super combative. So the, the thing with I statements um, is it makes the conversation less combative because they can't really dispute. They might, people might, people do it all the time, dispute how you feel, but they are more likely to get their hackles up and be less receptive when you come at the situation like this is where you fucked up, right? Instead of coming at the situation like um, this is what I need. Anyway, so we'll get there in a second, I statements. But so if you want to create more 
like a deeper connection with people around you, whether it's your partner, your kids, or your friends, practice asking open-ended questions um, instead of yes or no questions or like one word answer questions. So instead of like, how was your day? You would ask like, um, what did you do today or something? Or like you could ask, how was your day? And then follow that up with like more questions. Um, and, and as you know, people and know the situation, you'll know what questions to ask, but just think about asking questions that are more open-ended, um, rather than just one word answers or yes or no answers. And there are tons of resources out there on the internet. You can find, um, especially the Gottman Institute has good ones for like good open-ended questions to ask, but, um, just think, cause it's hard. It's hard to like, um, think them up if you're not used to doing it, but it's a skill to practice for sure. But, um, they could be things like, what was that like for you? Or, tell me more about that or, oh, how did that feel when such and such happened? Like whatever. Or, um, yeah. How are your friends? How are your colleagues? How is so-and-so doing? Whatever. Ask people about the people in their lives. That's another really good way to create connection is to know the kind of what they call the players in your people's lives. Because, you know, even though we are some of the major players in our closest circles, um, they're going to have colleagues, they're going to have friends at school, they're going to have other friends, whatever, um, that it feels good to feel seen and known in that way. And then finally, I statements. This is the biggest one that if you take away from this episode, that's why I kind of saved it for last. Um, if you take anything away from this episode, it's how to craft a really good I statement. So basically, the best example I have of this is instead of saying, you do such and such, like you are the problem, basically is what people hear when you when you start a statement with you, um, start it with I instead. And there, that's not as easy as it sounds, so I have a good framework for you. So a simple way to do it is instead of saying, for example, you never listen, you would say, okay, so maybe they, they do never listen. Maybe they don't listen to you and you feel like, they never listen. And maybe that's valid. But instead of saying that, what happens when they don't listen to you? How do you feel when that person doesn't listen to you? It's You might say, I feel unheard, right? And that's going to be a lot less combative, which means um, it's good to, to not be so combative because then people don't feel like they don't come into the interaction with their hackles up as much and it can be much more productive. You can get your needs met rather than just attacking the other person because where's the value in that, right? Like where is actually the value? Like it might make you feel a little bit better, but it's not going to get your needs met in the long run until you get to that point where you're saying what your feelings are and what you need. So that is the framework. The framework is, um, Hopefully you come into it knowing what the scenario is that makes you uh, and what the feeling you get from that scenario is, and then what do you need in terms, like what do you need instead? So the framework is basically a one-sentence format, and it goes like this. You can start off with when X scenario happens, or you can leave that part off, but basically when, name the scenario, 
when blank scenario happens, I feel whatever one or two or three or however many feelings, um, probably best to keep it limited, but you could do more than one. And this is what I need. So when this happens, I feel this and this is what I need. So to give you a more concrete example, um, so let me just add a few little quick tips related to that. First of all, um, the scenario part, try to keep that to just like facts about the scenario instead of your, cause you'll get to, you'll get to name your feelings in the next part of the statement. So try to keep it just facts about the scenario, like very journalistic. So like to continue on with our, um, you never listen example, it could be, well, what, what is the scenario that makes you feel like they never listen? Like what, in what scenarios do you wish this person would listen to you? If it's like, when they're looking at their phone and you start talking. So you might say, when you don't look up from your phone when I'm talking, um, that could be the scenario, you know, and you just want to say the action. Try to keep it pretty, like, generic to whatever the action is because in the next part is where you get to color it in with your feelings about the action. So when you don't look up from your phone, when I start talking to you, I feel unheard or ignored or unseen or undervalued or whatever the case may be. And this part requires a pretty high level of, of emotional awareness. And as y'all may know, that's like something I spend a lot of time talking about here, how important emotional awareness is, especially, um, and how it can be hindered, um, by experiencing trauma. So it's just something to work on. There are a lot of valuable reasons why you want to work on your emotional awareness, a lot of tools, the last few minutes of this episode are not the time to go over that, but I'm happy to help if you want to reach out with questions about how to better understand your emotions. I can't recommend Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart, enough for that. And then the positive need, you want to say, what do you want them to do instead? Um, like, I need you to look up from your phone when I start talking. Um, it can be that simple. You just want to avoid saying a negative need, like uh, saying things like, I need you to quit doing that, or um, I need you, you know, you know what I mean? You don't want to say what you don't want them to do. You want to say what you want them to do. So hopefully you enter the interaction having already thought through all of these things, because then when you do, you're going to come from a place of like, this is what I need. This is the boundary I'm setting rather than a place that is critical um, or, or if you don't think it through to that level, you might still come away from the interaction without feeling like your needs have been met if, um, you haven't thought through what those needs actually are. So maybe take the time to work with that framework, um, look more into the Gottman Institute communication methods and because they, they focus a lot on couples, but their work applies to all interactions. And I hope you're able to use these four tips to, um, just better connect with people in your lives and create richer, more intimate relationships in the way that you need. And so thanks for being here. That's it for today. Remember to always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars and stay in the light. Have a great week until next time.